episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. I've talked about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Chris. I'll keep you my dirty little secret, dirty little secret. Don't tell anyone or you'll be just another regret, just another regret. Hope that you can keep it, my dirty little secret. Who wants to know? I think that's going to be DM Dave. Hello, everyone. Uh, The rock and roll DM. That's it. I feel like that's the one and only time that the All-American Redrecks will uh, appear on Three Wise DMs, I feel. Thank you for that, because I was stumped there. Sorry to say that I stumped once again. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of a newer song, you know. I didn't go in the Wayback Machine on this one. But yeah, (laughs) All-American Redrecks. Why do I keep saying Redrecks? Rejects. All-American Redrecks. The Flash was denied a bank loan. I I don't know. (laughs) So welcome back, everybody. We got a pretty fun episode tonight. We have another listener question. Uh, This is following up last week. Uh, So send them in, guys. We're back to listener questions. This is where we make our uh, this is where we make the brand here. So this one, greetings, wise ones. So as we've always said, the tithe has been paid, you know, proper respect has been paid. (laughs) So so greetings, wise ones. I am called Michael. I love that, by the way, when I first read it, it's I am called Michael. You know, it's serious. <laughs> For years, I have lurked in the tenebrous depths of the three wise DMs community. Far from civilization, I made my abode a place so dark, so remote that I had to break verisimilitude to introduce myself. So you see, I had written a cutscene that I was rather proud of, which described my awakening to a group of heroes elsewhere in the world. But the player characters had no way of knowing or learning the information I put in it. My question then, what's your stance on giving PCs cool cutscenes containing information they otherwise wouldn't have access to? And as a broader topic, how do you guys give information to your PCs in a way that's more engaging than just saying, by the way, XYZ happened while you weren't looking? (laughs) <laughs> Looking forward to a wise reply. So I think I right. picked that one up there. That sounds like a good way to deliver it. <laughs> yeah, I am Michael. No, so that was great, right? So he starts out with like his like cutscene, like some cool narrative description using vocabulary, right? This is something that we have kind of danced around in a lot of other episodes, but I think this is the first time we really delved into it fully. So what do you guys think? Well, I guess you have to say, you know, if this is a video game, it can be handled than if it is a tabletop. So everybody's talking about Boulder's Gate now. It's out. People are playing it. They only let it sit for like, what, 15 plus years? They kind of shelved that. But we won't talk about that. All my friends are like, told you to go console, get that. So I don't, I don't care. I still don't have like, so I would love to play this game. You know, I mean, I did play the other one in 2000, but let, don't get me started on that. We don't like to rush ideas. So anyway. In BG2, like, for example, the villain of Renicus would be deep in the Underdark talking to the matron mother of the drow, and maybe they would have a conversation. And it was a cool cutscene. But there's no way the party would have any opportunity to know this unless they've got, like, you know, a camera hidden in the wall like Metal Gear. So if you're going to lure drop, it's got to fit the continuity of your game. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely you want to get away from being like a novel. 
uh, in many ways. Like you don't want to deliver information that's not there. But funny enough, uh, talking about Baldur's Gate 3, uh, Diablo 4, they have a really cool mechanism where you have to you have to know these things for the story to continue. Things that happen outside of your purview there. So I think there's something to it, but you have to be very careful because it's really like a rush to reveal something like, right? There's something to letting things come out naturally, but sometimes you need to deliver information in a way. So I think there's a need for it, but you have to be sensitive because it's to your point, you don't want to remove the suspension of disbelief where you're like, well, is my character seeing this? Is that like you have to retain that level of this is my character experiencing this. I just change the way that it is. I provide some other way that this information is getting to them. Yeah, I, I mean, let's let's just uh, let's do a, a triad here. Uh, just from what <laughs> you guys said, I was walking through my niece's room. She was playing a video game and I walked by. A huge flat screen. So it stopped me because it was super cool graphics. And I've been so far out of the video game sphere for so long uh, that I, I have no idea what's happening out there right now. You know, but I was like, wow, what's this game? Because, like, there's this cool scene. You know, it's it's obviously a fantasy game. I was, and she goes, oh, it's Dragon Age Inquisition. And I go, oh, that's super cool. And what was cool about it was it looked awesome. And, like, there was it was a cutscene in a way. But like she was still interacting as her character with whoever it was, whether it was one of the Lords of the land or something like that, which is super cool because it's a solo RPG where you're just like, here I am. I'm going to go do my thing. I'm in Skyrim. I'm going to talk to the, you know, the Jarl, but that's not what's happening around the table. And I think that's what really gets in the way or gets is, it can be tripping up people, TMs who are, trying to create a bit of a narrative thing like you guys will make the, the joke sometimes as i'll start talking during a game and you go oh we're trapped in a cutscene," you know <laughs> and it's not as much that it's more just giving some of that narrative foundation to then okay and scene here we go like almost like like an acting troupe or an improv group like okay here's the scene now go but at least setting a foundation for it i mean i think that's a good analogy but also that the players have to be in on it right like if you're setting a cut scene that way you're just providing some more dramatic flair as you know a very cool descriptive kind of way to it but if you're trying to reveal something that happened on the other side of the world but is you know instructive to what you try to do you have to find a way that's more than just you send them a letter and say hey this is what happened like there has to be a way that you're revealing that that still retains some level of like, it's my character seeing this. It's a vision that he gets or we get as a shared party, but it's not something that is just this, like as if I'm reading a novel and I'm just getting another perspective there, because I think that breaks the, like breaks the continuity of the player themselves. Like they want, they're experiencing it as their characters. So yeah, it's treated like a time freeze very often. We make jokes about that because we play video games and we're just stuck watching the video of what's unfolding. <laughs> you could set that up like in a scenario. If you walk down the stairs, you see the sacrificial altar and you're describing it as it, as it unfolds. Yeah. So in a matter of speaking, the players are frozen that moment of time and they cannot act until, and I know people want to, and they're like, I shoot them. I'm like, I am not done describing the world. Like, <laughs> You've not shot him yet. <laughs> I know you have an arrow knocked, but calm down. Let me finish. And that that flows. 
What you absolutely do not ever want to use a cutscene for, and they do this in video games constantly, and it drives everybody absolutely crazy. It's been going on for countless years when a villain gets to escape in a cutscene. That is unforgivable. And they and companies do this all the time. Yeah, because that I mean that's that's the rule number one is is the whole idea of player agency, right? The idea that the players are the ones that are interacting with this world and their their actions and their decisions need to have benefit and consequence. And the villain getting away in that way robs them of that because it's not just that the villain you know, uh, let's say in 5e, used a disengage action and phased through the floor. I mean, like, Strahd did that in our Curse of Strahd campaign, right? Because he was about to get axed. And I was like, no, we're not done yet, you know. But, yeah, you can't just, like, and they got away. Never mind. Doesn't matter what you did. Didn't matter. No, it, 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 it's very good, right? It has to be something that everyone knows and is in there. It can't just be something. It has to be. You have to be describing something that's happened, but not something that they play, like the players are doing there. Because then, yeah, you're just basically taking away the whole idea of that the story evolves. It's like you shouldn't have the story completely all set up beforehand. It should be evolving as the players do this. Maybe the guy gets away. Maybe he doesn't. But that provides more nuance to the story. So, Yeah, and, and Dave, you're right. A villain can get away. It just can't be cheese. Like if the two of you started whipping my ass and I went to zero hit points and I'm like, ah, oh, you haven't heard the last of me. And I like walk out the door. You're like, what? Why didn't someone stop him? Like do any. Nope. Can't. Just, yeah, just no, happen. absolutely. Yeah. Cause especially if a, it's a villain like that, where it's like somebody who really matters, you're going to, I mean, you have at least, at least two rounds, hopefully that <laughs> you can decide if this has gone improperly. Right. And you can get them away. But again, I don't think that that's really where where Michael's question is going as much as dumping information. And that's where I think a lot of this is is heading towards is and we talk about it. Tony, you call it lore tolerance, right? Like these lore dumps, secrets and clues, information that the party needs to get or or you want them to get that's going to matter. And. How do you put that in a way in a, quote, cut scene, even though I don't think that's where it really needs to be if you want to really dump information like that? So he was trying to put it, you know, he wanted to do that video game cinematic, you know, aspect to things where, you know, you get to see something cool that's going on in the world while you're yeah. busy. So things are unfolding and I get that. I, I caution against using the cheesy cutscene villain escapes thing. I would also caution against if you've got a lot going on in your game actively, don't put anything in front of that with another cutscene that may confuse the events that are like happening right in front of everyone, if that makes sense. Because again, that lore tolerance may be exceeded. Yeah, no, and I think that, uh, I mean, it, as we always say, like you're, you, they're, they're not picking up everything you're putting down. So, I mean, in your head as a DM, you've, you know, you've worked on this story, you've thought about this campaign, you know all the plot things. They very often know a mishmash of what's happening and stuff like that. So you have to really shock them with something that's going to be like, this is something super important, right? Something big has to happen. It has to be a dramatic scene because the rest of the time you're like, I, you know, so much happens in a campaign, right? And you get lost in, oh, it was it this guy or it was this tavern owner or this guy was the head of this guild or something like that. So you need to be, it has to shock people out of it. Yeah, I think so. a lot of this comes when we, we talk about this, like this idea of like, I, I don't even like the idea of calling it a cutscene because I don't think that's what is happening. 
what I think it is is, and I I cannot stand uh, all of the hate that a lot of the DMs out there that are on YouTube, people like Matt Mercer or Brandon Lee Mulligan, get because they are running. One, they're running the game the way they like to do it, the way their players like to do it, and they're also running it in a way that an audience is watching. You know, I mean, they're actors; they're going to to put on. Uh, somewhat of a performance to a degree, but it's it's the way in which they play because that's how they interact with it. And the problem is, is that you have to adjust that to one, your style of DMing, but also your players and their ability to not just lore tolerance, but monologue tolerance. And you learn this very quickly. We've talked about it when I'm doing my my session prep. I have my when last we left our heroes dot, dot, dot. And I do the short recap and I've had it where it's been. Some of the Dragonlance, yeah, (laughs) short my ass, right? Some of the Dragonlance games are a page of bullet points, and I got to get through it. And I am reading the table and seeing, okay, they're I'm starting to kind of lose them, but I have to get through this. But that's a time during the game session where you have the most, the most leeway with that. Either that, or at the very, very start and top of the campaign, because that's usually when you're setting the whole world and where these people are. And you're placing them in this in this world. Uh, but even at the recap, you have a time where they will accept a couple minutes tops of any kind of recap or monologue. If you try to drop that in the middle of it and you have this one NPC that wants to monologue, you know, the the from the age of Starbirth onwards, you, you're not your players are not going to be there for you. I mean, I haven't found it myself, at least in the games that we've played. Actually, I think both of those are super solid points. Uh, if you're going to do a cutscene, especially in the middle of the game, yes, it has to be memorable or it's going to get lost. Like I said, like I'm becoming a better player and DM, but there's a connection to that as a player. I look at the yeah. other side of this, and my girlfriend's always telling me, she's like, you have a lot going on in your campaign. And I'm like, no! And then I sent you guys out a recap, and it's three minutes and 45 seconds. And I'm writing out the script of this, and I'm thinking, and I'm like, holy shit, this is just a summation. It's like he went to here, and you did this. He talked to these guys, and fought these trolls, and went over there, and went down there, and so much happens. Like, Dave, I'm going to need an omnibus of all your characters from Dragonlance. And I am really trying to pay attention. Periodically, I put a name, and I'm like, F, who, is that an elf? Is that, was that a No, absolutely. Was that a castle? Some of those, and that's that's some of it too. Realize that, um, and I think all of us do this uh, because we all three of us have a level of building out a level of lore and things matter, names matter, stuff like that. And you're going to miss a ton of it, right? It's very like George R.R. R. Martin, right? But I'm going to name the elf that you talk to. And I'm going to have a lot of times – The elf, like when you guys went to Blue Phoenix Shrine and there were other pilgrims there, I had names for them because I don't know if the characters are going to be like, hey, who's this guy over here? What's what's his deal? What's his name? We're all a little traumatized. Right. And I don't necessarily want to do the same Smorkel thing. Right. So I'll have that. But I'll throw that out and I'll know a lot of names you're not catching, but some names are getting through some of the names that matter. But even so, it doesn't necessarily matter. Because, again, the players are going to tell you which names matter. Chris, this is a perfect example in the Dragonlance campaign when I realized that Yalmi the bartender at the Brass Crab in Vogler, 
was one that you had kind of been like, okay, this is one of the NPCs that that Resguedo, your your bard, is is interested in, cool yeah. with, talking with. Because then you put it in like your recap poem song in the next game. And I was like, oh, okay. Meanwhile, Yalmi could have been a throwaway. Who knows? But throw it out there. Just realize they're not going to pick up every single thing. I can't even keep some of them straight. I'm like, wait, what the hell was their name again? Where were they? You know? And I think in the end, it's there's five people at the table, right? You got a DM and you got your four players. The lore and all of this stuff that we're talking about is the part that we love as a DM. It's the players take from that what they want to. But yeah. I mean, if you want to have cutscenes, keep them brief, right? Don't try to reveal stuff that's off screen, right? Find a different way to do that. But put it in there because you enjoy it. That's the part that we enjoy is having some level of that. And the players will pick up on it. And whether or not they pick up on it, they'll enjoy other parts of it. Some people like combat. Some people like talking to NPCs and stuff like that. Some people really like the lore and following along with the mystery. But it's, uh, I think it's cool to lean into it because it's part of what you enjoy. As long as the players are having fun when you're doing cutscenes, I think they're perfectly fine. So, Kind of focusing on what I believe the, his question was, uh, where I'd like to do information drops and would fit the continuity. I'm a big fan of both using dreams and visions. Woo! Gods are great. Right? There it is. <laughs> you have a dream. You want to pull everybody in? Have a shared dream. Okay, my Easter dream in my campaign was a little weird, but it was thematic. Everybody got Easter baskets. But that gives everybody an opportunity and I kind of like the share dream. I mean, you can give it to one player. Like, Wade gets a lot of visions in my game. I'm like, Wade, yeah. you see this. And if your character you're doing this with is a real actor, you could pull that off. But if you, as we saw with Thorne's game, if you give vital information to a more shy character, it could die there. Yeah. And you're like, well, shit, that was a piece of the puzzle. <laughs> Keep looking around the board because it's already there. Yeah, no, I think it's important to identify if you want to give out stuff like that, if you want to have them store the story hooks that are part of your campaign, the players have to be somewhat focused. Otherwise, you're going to have to constantly kind of keep shepherding them back into the general idea and getting, you know, keeping current with what it is that's happening with that player in the world there. But I think another good one, uh, NPCs, like just having someone who happened, you know, this one I thought for the cutscene, right? A great way besides visions is to have somebody who was there come and encounter the players, maybe a priest who saw this guy's awakening come stumbling into the village, right, and tells them this, or they find a letter. Maybe the big bad sends them a letter if he's somebody like Strahd, right? In Strahd, he very often would communicate, right? He would, even though he wasn't there, there would be some level of communication, which could be considered, right, an off-screen sort of cutscene kind of thing. But maybe he does that or they leave something behind that they find. Like, I think there's ways to, like, be able to deliver that, you know, especially NPCs, right? It's just it's so simple that is you didn't have to see it, but somebody else might have seen it. And then once they're there and they're talking with you, it amounts to it's no longer this thing that's happening off screen. He may be telling you just hearsay, but it's happening. So absolutely. Yeah, Chris, that's a uh, that's kind of a point I was getting towards as well in, in a in a way. I agree, Tony. Dreams and visions. I obviously use them ad nauseum, um, especially if a character um, is has a patron, is a deity, things of that nature. Then, the, the, like, how else are they? Go- you know, you're living in a fantastical, magical world. They're going to speak through their their champions, their votaries, right? But the first thing is 
a lot of times I think we're we're concerned that we're not going to get the information out there. So there is something that I actually took from uh, Brandon Sanderson, who is the author of the Stormlight Archives, as well as like a gajillion other novels. I don't know how this guy writes so much, but the Stormlight Archives, which I've talked to you guys about several times, is fan absolutely amazing. It's fantastic. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. If you have about you know, 20 million hours to read about 6,000 pages in four books. It's it's ludicrous. Like each book is like over a thousand. Plato's but, Republic was 300 pages. He's got Stephen King disease. Today. But no, but the, so I don't want to get on too much of a tangent with this because this is getting somewhere. But the beauty of what he does, though, is you it's he's not overwriting every little bit, even if it's small stuff, builds on itself into this huge clockwork of when the reveal comes, you go, oh my God. And it makes it that much more. So what I took from that in a very simple way was be patient, put the information out there, but don't expect just, okay, well, next session, I got to get this out because next session might not be the time for that reveal to happen in the Dragonlance campaign. I can say this now because it finally happened. So for several sessions now, Chris, um, this did not actually happen from the very beginning. This was not something that happened from the beginning. This is something that built because your character gave me in the backstory that you had a father and all you had was a name and then he left and all you knew was your mom growing up and then the other stuff that happened, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what to do with that fully. So I kind of, it was there. I was... You know, I let it percolate. I let it simmer. One day I'm going through the thing and I go, holy crap, I'm going to make him. So anyone playing Dragonlance, I've decided that Chris's character's father is actually in in all respects, Loisette of the Black Robes, who is one of the main villains of the story, who I actually had you guys meet even before the adventure started, you know. And when I did that, I went, oh, man. And I wanted to, like, reveal it immediately so i was like where can i put this how can i get it through what can i do and then i was like well hold on like pump the brakes be patient let this build and then that's what led into my next point which is it's kind of like in writing you know show don't tell in this way info lore secrets stuff that's happening in the world info needs to be found not told it matters when the players are interacting with an NPC. And Chris, this goes to what you were saying. Some priest or some bartender, like rumors are happening in the world. They can find information by interacting with people because then you incentivize them to interact with people because you can find information and build contacts. But let that start to kind of manifest organically. Just don't immediately go, oh, my God, this is such a great reveal. It's going to be huge. I can end the session with it. And they're all going to be like, holy crap, I can't wait till next week. Don't worry about that. Let the reveal happen when it feels like that's when it should happen, you know? And that's not what you won't necessarily know until you kind of know, right? So I actually have to really praise you on that. We were using uh, Dave's uh, prototype uh, hex crawl system and we were allowed to do some agency what was happening and part of my agency was we spotted a monolith went down to check it out and went to check it out and actually had what was going to happen had nothing to do with the monolith it was there it actually was a treant who then you know in our from our episode about things in your dm's toolkit pulled out lore and just dropped it right there it was perfect it felt smooth 
I don't know, like how long you were sitting on that NPC. Well, no. But, so here's here's what's whole, beautiful. That whole encounter, how long you were sitting on that whole thing, and dropped it from a random Tony kind of prompt there was so, uh, pretty amazing. The way it turned out. So just as a behind the screens for anybody out there. So this is go to your go to your players backstories because Chris, you gave me the name in your backstory from before even the game one, and he said all he knew was his father's name was Wood Whisper. And I went, all right, well, this doesn't make any sense because he's not half elven. So why would he have a name that sounds kind of elvish, right? Like Wood Whisper, right? So I'm like, okay, well, maybe he like has something to do with the elves. There's a lot of elves and dragon and crin, blah, 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 whatever. At one point when the whole Loazet thing came to my mind, I went, oh, no, I'll just have a tree ant. And his name is Wood Whisper. And Loazet was studying with him and decided to put on this other guy's as quote wood whisper before he then went back to being himself, you know? And I was just like, and then when they meet this tree ant and they go, Oh, what's your name? You know, when they find out I'm going to talk to this tree, right. <laughs> Which I appreciated that you guys weren't metagaming completely where you're like, this is a fucking talking tree, but I'm not, I have to like discover this as my player, right. As my character. <laughs> but then he goes, Oh, what's your name? And I go, Oh, wood whisper. And I, Chris just looks over at me and kind of like shakes his head. And I'm like, Boom! There it is, you know? That was an um, uh, amazing reveal there. I feel very much it's like a Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker kind of thing now. Oh, well, but, I mean, Jesus, right? Yeah. Like, you can't make your father an evil person without it completely, what? Uh, you know, eaten off of Lucas, right? It definitely, it definitely complicates deal, right? things, right? And you're like, oh, maybe he wants to save him or whatever. But it's funny that, that I, what you were saying before, the number five point on my better ways here list here was wait for it. And I think that's really like it's it'll happen, but it's definitely a rush. Like it's something cool that I've got. It's a thing. When I first did the first campaign uh, out of Pathfinder, when you ran yeah. the, the Dragon thing, the next thing I did, I started sending out teasers, and I started just sending out teasers that were just things that were happening all over the world because I was just writing a novel at that point, or I was writing a short story. Like I wasn't providing a cool teaser that. The players would know or had seen or had experienced in their life. I was just dropping, you know, like dropping literary stuff on them. So it's <laughs> it's important that you like if you have it there, you, you build it up. But like, let it last. It's there. You have plenty of time that they'll get. A, like I said, they're not going to get a lot of it anyway. So get the stuff out. Take your time with it. Enjoy it and put in what you like there because it's a. Uh, the lore is there for the DMs in in the end, really. Like I think, or other DMs at the table. Like I think that we truly uh, appreciate lore in a different way. So. Your father was more like Pyro from the X Men. <laughs> yeah, Pyro, right. <laughs> with the way he's the way the way you guys have interacted with him so far. So. But uh. Oh, dear Tony, if I could actually just jump in, because that was something that Chris said. It made me think last set, uh, last session, last episode, uh, when we were going over Jim's question about like how do you deal when players don't really want to like live and let live? They don't want to engage. You know, it might be an engagement problem. And one of the things we talked about was, well, they don't want to engage. That's fine. They get engaged. <laughs> you know, you bring it to them. So that's something, though, because like Chris, when you were saying with the, the some of your earlier campaigns, you were kind of like, here's the world. And it's like, you know, like Middle Earth and all this. But does it affect like, do I care about it? How does it affect my player? Because unfortunately, for the most part, as good a player as we are, any of us, we are selfish. 
We want to know how our player is doing, What, how our player, we are the player, how our character is doing. What is our character doing? What are our goals, our objectives, our team's objectives? What are we trying to do in the world? And the more you bring it to them in that way, the more that a lot of times this information will can flow easier. So when you're doing these lore drops and if they're coming from supernatural sources, so to speak, you could run the dangerous gambit of giving it in a mysterious context, like a vision that means something. Now, for your really advanced players, they could really dig that. Or it could get completely lost in the sauce and a clue. They're like, <laughs> you know. And it's, like a riddle. It, it, it ends up like a riddle. <laughs> yeah, it depends who I'm dealing with. It's like some players, I throw out a riddle, but I'm like, no one's going to get this. And I give it to them, and like someone solves it in like a minute and 20 seconds. And other stuff, you know, it, it could stall the entire game. And other times, if you look at like, you know, in mythology and, and religion and what have you, sometimes a god is just like, you need to do this now. And that's the end of the communication. So perhaps it's guidance, perhaps it is lore, perhaps it's a like plot direction. I mean, you don't want to really put the guys necessarily on the railroad, but if it's time for the railroad, you know, you know, pay for the tickets in advance. Yeah, so I don't know why this made me think of it, but in some ways it's like it's what will what will players pick up on and like that idea of like that super cool reveal like oh my god right like it's his father oh right <laughs> but so I was just reading it was actually today I was reading on some of the Strahd uh socials that I that I follow so on Facebook like that and people you know, it's always nice to see how people are are still running it, have run it, that kind of stuff. Now that you're a grizzled um, veteran. Now that yeah, <laughs> I've seen some things. <laughs> um, but they were saying how one of the things they actually removed from Curse of Strahd was Morden Canaan, which the only way it came through for you guys was uh, during one of the so. Christmas adventures. Yeah, and I had him be Morty the Elf, right? Um, and I kind of made reasons for like why Morden Canaan would be there, but like. He was like, okay, well, like it's just too much, like too many like whys and what ifs as Morden Canaan. And then he was also like, my players aren't, they're not like old school players who are gonna even know what that name. So it's like, my name is Morden Canaan, and he's like, all I'm gonna see across the table is a bunch of blank stares because I don't. Okay, who is this guy? Is that with a K or unless a C? you've cast Morden Canaan's disjunction, you don't know how cool this guy is. But I'm saying, like, you don't necessarily know. So, like, what would the hell would it matter, right? <laughs> it's You can't put an Easter egg. Easter eggs only work if people know the source material or the or where the Easter egg came from, right? Or yeah. DC and you're trying too hard. Or you're, yeah. <laughs> My movie was bad, but this Easter egg was fantastic. Did you see a, the 23 seconds? more Easter eggs instead of plot, yes, yes. But uh, to Chris's point, yeah, you could be in a tavern, and I personally like a good throwaway NPC. They have a name, sure. That's about all they have to them. And the mysterious and the barkeep. Let's face it, the barkeep is like you know plugged right into the internet. They know what's happening in your world. They have the finger on the pulse of what's happening. And you want to reveal something, perhaps not in a grandiose fashion, but you know, hey, oh, this town was attacked. Oh, there's giants over here. I heard about a werewolf. Plenty of easy organic opportunities there. That, that was your article about with Crossbow Hayes, right? Or Hayes, Hayes or Haynes? Hayes, yeah, Crossbow, crossbow Hayes. Crossbow Hayes, yeah. Guys, go back and read the um, 
Chris's uh, Ballad of the Bartender article. Um, it's a great way to kind of build this out. But right to Tony's point about you have certain people that can be like the patron for the party. But Chris, go ahead. But no, I think in the video game things, uh, like uh, Alfred, and I'm playing Diablo 4 now. So I probably, they should send me a check for that. I probably said it four times. It's <laughs> two episodes. But there's just ways that there it, it, there's there's visions right there's visions that you get information in and then there's npcs i go to a new town oh there's a guy he's got a little thing over his head he's the tavern owner and i talk to him and he doesn't give me a whole lot of info maybe he's got a little bit of a backstory he's got a funny accent or something like that and then i go out and i go to kind of do something and then if i come back there's more info there if i want to but it's a nice easy way to deliver stuff i just uh you know you Give them enough that it's that they can build the story in their head a little bit, but you don't need to provide the fine details. Like it's uh, like the, a lot of it is filled out for yourself. Like I can imagine stuff happening in Diablo. I'm just slaying things, but I'm imagining it's much more heroic than that. Just a constant bloodfest, right? In my head, it is. It's like I just watched the Super Mario Brothers movie, and like it was like it was it was cool. It was funny, right? The Whatever. Flat but, <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't cra- I'm not like, oh, my God, go watch it. But it was it was cool in the way that they took the very basic game mechanic stuff and they turned it into like a story. They So like Chris, like you were saying, like more was happening. You just didn't necessarily see it on the boards, you know. Well, you know, if you're playing Fable, you can just follow the golden trail to where you need to go. And if you're playing Diablo, no need to like interact with the town. Just find the person with the golden exclamation point. Click yeah, on them. Here what they have to say. Yeah, listen to Decker Kane's funny accent. He's like, oh, stay a while and listen. And he goes into this. It tells you where you need to go to the X level within that hell church in the first game. And you know, I think there's a bit of you have to lead it to that. It's a bit of a railroad, but it much the way you would do it in our game. Like you have to I think you have to point them in those directions at those kind of peoples to kind of get the story rolling and stuff like that to the right NPCs and stuff like that. This is where the cool stuff's happening. Um, so on a on a bit of a deeper level, just because I think that this is I, I wanted to cover it because I feel like with the way that Michael described it, especially because he called it cutscenes, makes me think of this. So you're watching. We're reading a book. We're watching a movie. We're watching a TV show. And we're watching as the audience. So. The director, the author, whoever is showing us all of these other moving parts. You know, it's like it's like any freaking Law and Order episode, right? You see the murder happen, and now it goes about the rest of the episode them discovering the clues. But in that way, you're not you're playing the audience member. You're not playing the the character in the show or the movie or the book, right? And that's what we've kind of gotten to. But I have seen at times. Where people play, it's actually just recently, I was, it it caught my eye because one, it was on YouTube and it came up in my feed and I went, oh, I got to save that because it was a picture of Alpha Flight, all right? And it was an, and it was an actual play podcast where they were using the original Marvel superheroes face rip system and they were doing an adventure as Alpha Flight. And I was like, I got to save this. I got to at least give it like 30 minutes to see like, all right, what is this, you know? Because... Because there's not a lot of not a lot of like actual plays of of Marvel, so I listen and it's interesting because they put Alpha Flight into they even like fan cast people so they're like I'm playing Puck you know and we cast 
some actor. I don't I didn't know who the actor was, but they can't. Right. So they were really going like they were like, this is the MCU version of Alpha Flight that we're doing. So it existed within like the MCU continuity that that Marvel Studios has built. And the judge who was running the game and for anyone who hasn't played, it's the judge instead of the GM or DM. Back from the Jurassic games of David Gare. Yeah, right. <laughs> he goes through and he starts in like the Great White North 5,000 years ago. And there's this like collection of like shamans and gods and the Sorcerer Supreme comes through who's not the Ancient One yet. And he does this whole like – like I'm literally – as I'm listening to it, I'm seeing the movie unfold, right? The the camera's coming down into the Great White North and like it comes up 5,000 years ago. And then I'm in this cavern and all this is happening. And as an audience listener to their podcast, I'm like, this is cool. As we're like 20 minutes into it, and I'm still like, this is really interesting. You know, I'm like, I hope Sasquatch is going to be in this, right? I wonder if they got Shimon, you know? And uh, he's still going. 20, 25 minutes in, they haven't said a word. The guy playing Vindy, the guy playing Guardian, not said a word. The guy playing Puck. Not, and I'm like, this is the worst game session in the world, but it's an awesome actual play right that's super cool for the audience but again it's different at your table my point here as i rambled is have i haven't but have you ever played where you will take the the players for a second onto a meta level and show them a scene where the villain is doing some stuff and then return back have you ever or would you want to play with something like that? Because when I hear cutscene, that's what I'm really thinking of is literally you're coming out of the action as the characters. And now Dave, not Gwaden, is seeing something that's happening and going, oh, wow, as the audience, but not as the player. So before I answer that question, I, I've got to ask. How long did this judge monologue for? <laughs> oh, dude, I stopped listening. Uh, he was good. He had to have been a half hour in before I finally got to the point where, which was cool because then he fast forwards to present day Alberta, right? The Great White North. So in the in the original monologue, he reveals Talisman. He reveals Snowbird, right? All this stuff for anybody who does. Most people probably don't know what the hell I'm talking about because Alpha Flight is kind of a deep cut. Only vaguely I do. That's good. But he then comes up present day, right? It's uh, you know 21st century. Tony Stark has not yet revealed himself as Iron Man. So, like, this dude's in the MCU continuity, and I'm loving that, right? And he's like, they finally get to the point where they're involved, but it's like Guardian is, like, just powering up his suit. And, like, okay, he finally gets to do, like, a reason feat. And Puck is just having, like, some oatmeal in the corner or something. And, like, I don't even know, like, what is happening, dude? Like, So, amazing yeah, that's presentation. Like a of my session already. Yeah, but you are not – and I've sat in a lot of meetings in my time, <laughs> all right? Really, you need to come out, engage your audience, make a couple of bullet points that they're going to retain, repeat it – answer some questions and move on. I could put on the best Lord of the Rings 30 minute, you know, coverage of yeah. what's happening. And I got to tell you, unless everyone's writing this stuff down, like in shorthand, like we're in a courtroom, all kinds of details are going to be missed. 
And my question there is, despite, you know, all the effort that went into that, how much of that is really pertinent to what we're doing in the story? I would have definitely yeah. broken that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, my feel is that they had this this concept because they were doing an actual play. So they're like, OK, we're going to build something for an audience. We're also going to have fun playing. But they were it seemed like it was much more focused on, OK, we're building a product to show an audience. And that's awesome. I think that's great. And there's something to be said for that. But even in a lot of the actual plays like Critical Role or Dimension 20, there's still not that. The players are still wildly involved in what is happening. They're still asking. There might be a little recap like we do or the initial story build. Okay, this is the world you exist in, but not like on a daily on the game. So, yeah. No, I mean, and it's yeah, cut schemes. It's you, you can't. If it's happening, it's not happening to the players. It can't be a. It can't just be something I'm just dumping on you, right? Like it's just confusing the hell out of you anyway. On top of additional war, it's a whole bunch of. It's a question of perspective, and they're like, "Well, is this me or is this my character?" Mm. And then just keep to Tony's point is keeping it tight. Is that it's if you're gonna drop something, well, you better make sure that it's big. It might feel big to you or something like that. But like. I mean, you really were like, I think the, the low is that one where you wait and you wait and you know that I'm paying attention to that and that it's going to right. It's not like I'm just throwing this out like, you know, that well, literally you're, you're every fishing game. with the right lure at that point And you know that, OK, this is going to work because I know this. I, I work, you know, I played with this player now for long enough and through the backstory that I could set this hook. Yeah. No, really your nice backstory. And then every nearly every session. There was something about you were trying to find this information. So you're that's one of the things your your character is focused on and you as a player is focused on. So, you know, yeah, that's it's, yeah. it's my story, not necessarily. I mean, I'm interested in what's happening in Dragonlance. Right. And the lore is good. But it is to your point earlier is that it's a personal interest in what my player is doing. So how the world interacts with my player is how much more I'm going to understand these things that are happening. Right. Cause now, now, now low is that now it's burned into my memory now. Right. Like it's a, uh, you know, it takes on a different uh, angle when you do it that yeah. way. And we all know players listen differently. It's like, is this pertaining directly to my character? Are you pitching this big thing, which I have, you know, a dog in the race for, or is this something that, you know, another player, perhaps if Chris had been in the bathroom at that moment, I'd be like, okay, so his name's your name is Wood Whisper, and that would have meant nothing to me. I would have caught nothing out of that. I'm like, okay, I'm talking to a giant tree. Now, something else we're doing in Dave's game that kind of pertains to this is we're searching for the answers, and we talked about this a little bit. So, what are we looking for? The information's just not going to come to us in a cutscene. We need like and God award this too. They went to all these different dangerous, mysterious places, different locations. And they got to find runes or visions or totems or something or a person who's going to explain to them what the hell they need to know. It's just not take it for granted. It's just not given. It's part of the adventure. No, it's mm-hmm. funny. It's, and we keep on coming back to it. I think video games, for the most part, sometimes like the, they get a little cutscene heavy, but they have a they've done a whole lot of work on lore tolerance and what people can understand. And a lot of the systems that they use, the successful ones are a really good analogy for ways to be able to give people information with NPCs and the visions you have and the different kind of mechanics where you have those kind of things. Like I have the little exclamation point over my head 
to us, that's just railroading you to the, oh, you go to the, you know, the tavern and the tavern owner looks like this is crossbow haze and he's got something for you. So it's. All right. I think it's probably about that time now for final thoughts uh, for Michael's question with these cutscenes. So, uh, yeah. What do we think? I would not overload anybody. If we're to get a, there's a lot happening in any given game, so you want to throw additional lore in there, just do that precisely. And to Chris's earlier point, yeah, it has to be something that's really kind of very pertinent. And it can't be just like, ah, here's a cutscene, and they're off doing something that's not that's you know general lore, but not like, hey, wow, I really needed to watch that because that's going to grab their attention. My final thoughts surrounding this is if you're looking for a way to deliver it, there's a lot of different ways. Every DM has some mysterious stranger in their arsenal. Somebody (laughs) you don't know who this person is, their motives, their background. Are they a doddering old wizard? Are they a former barkeep? Anyway, they can. That's a great person that they can have this opportunity and pass this on to. So it feels organic. And it's not like, hey, we all just we just all saw this. Like, wow, that was wild. We're all eating mushrooms. Way I try to think of it, it's like what we know versus what we'll learn. Uh, like you, you, you have like an idea. This is what the players know, and this is what we'll learn. And then kind of getting on with Dave's point. I don't want to bleed too much on your thing. Is it the wait for it? Is that as so much of the cutscene that isn't a cutscene where I'm describing how you just cut across, you know, you just killed Strahd or something, is a rush to get your own stuff out there. So I think. Lean into lore a little bit because that's your DM fun here in this and you're building your world and stuff like that. Just make sure that the important stuff gets out, right? And cutscenes aren't always the best way to do that. An interactive way with a, a, a something you have to go up to and there's a quick vision or an NPC sometimes can stick a little better because people are interacting with it. My first point is I go back to uh, Brandon Sanderson. Uh, and what I learned from that beyond, I, I really like as I was reading the Stormlight Archives novels, I was like, I want to make this. I want to I want this world like I could run a campaign. This this world is is amazing. And I've seen people that are actually trying to I think they're actually going to be putting together their own RPG. But regardless, what I learned from it was be patient, Chris, like you were saying, wait for it. But be patient. Realize that you have this stuff. But let it come out because that's my second point. Info needs to be found, not told. So characters interacting and finding out stuff makes them feel like they found something. Um, I, I say this. This is a little bit different uh, in terms of my work in physical therapy. Uh, so me and Bonnie, were both in in the bodywork field. I'm in physical therapy. She's in massage therapy. And I always say that. Her clients are much more focused on what we're going to do that session, and they're much more goal-oriented, and they want to get this this done because they found her. They found her, whereas opposed to a lot of times with us at a physical therapy clinic, their doctor said, I want you to go here, or I want you to go physical, physical therapy, and they went online, and they found a place that was close to them, and maybe they heard about this type of therapy that we do, but someone else told them. They didn't find it. And the same thing in D&D, when the players find something and they got that information, it sticks much more because they had that agency and they got it because they were asking the right questions or going to the right places or whatever. And then my third point, we didn't get into it much, but I've talked about it in 
other episodes. And Tony, I, I'm going to have to link it in the, the timestamps, but the article you wrote about when we started playing with the idea of side narratives uh, outside of game with with characters, with players. Um, so with Dragonlance, I decided to go full hog, as I've said before, and I started to do side narratives for every single player. Some of them more so and less, depending on what was happening, but it was to help explain how they were getting these new abilities as they leveled up, new powers, new spells, visions, information about their backstory, things that were happening in the world, but to them, that had to do with them, that we didn't necessarily then have to play out in-game and and take time in-game, in-session. And then what I did was I, I went even full on and I decided to start putting clues and secrets for other people's backstories in other people's side narratives. So like Tony's character might have information that's important or per- pertinent to Bonnie's character and Chris might have to Matt's character and Scott and all these. So if they start to talk, all of a sudden they'll go, wait a second, how do you know about that? You know, whatever it might be. So that's something that, that you could also possibly utilize too. Like I said, I'm going to put it in the description for Tony's article. But it's a great way to to play out because then you really can do a cutscene, and then it's it's different because it's to the character, it's much more personal, so it's it's much more they're going to pay a little more attention and they can sit with it because it's written as opposed to you just monologuing off of it. So anyway, uh, Chris, as you say a lot of times, the best way to avoid any kind of cutscenes is just get them rolling, right? Yeah. Get them rolling dice, and whenever they need to roll dice. I would seriously consider going to fanrolldice.com, our affiliate link, uh, at fanrolldice.com slash ref slash 2871. That will help get you out of the cutscene because then they're rolling those cool liquid core dice that they had at Gen Con this weekend. But anyway, uh, that's it for us. Um, Michael, thank you again for the question. And uh, as we do each week, uh, we're going to let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out. And thank you to all of you listening from home. We really appreciate it. If you liked what you've been listening to, please smash that five-star rating button. Let us know. Leave a good review. Tell your friends. That really helps us grow. If you'd like to hear us answer any question you have, send it to us at threewisedms at gmail.com or go to our website, threewisedms.com, and enter it in the What's Your Problem field. Or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're active on all those platforms, so feel free to drop by, you know, send us a question, and we'll see if we can make it on the show. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time. Three wise news.